All right, if you would, turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. Uh, as we continue on, uh, Mike has been walking us through the first four chapters, and we see Daniel being the, the primary character. We see Nebuchadnezzar, uh, it's just one of those fun Bible names to say. It's right up there. Um, it's just fun to say Nebuchadnezzar, and, and I get to say it out loud up here. It's just fun to say it. It's one of those favorites for me. And now we're going to move 22, 23 years into the future. So at the end of, of chapter 4, we see uh, Nebuchadnezzar praying. Uh, we see him acknowledging uh, who God is. Verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the, the King of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, if that were the theme of his song from this point in his life forward, uh, you would expect those who have exposure to him to to begin to take that on too. Uh, today I want to introduce you to a couple of people that don't do that. As we look at the fullness of chapter 5, we're going to walk through several aspects of it. Chapter 5 introduces us to a guy named Belshazzar. Uh, those who are world history buffs um, may find Daniel 5 a bit controversial, at least historically speaking. Uh, there are names that come up that archaeologists can't seem to get a lot of information on. There are, there are faces that show up in this that don't really march across the timeline of history in any significant way, and yet, how do we hold to this? Did this really happen? Did Daniel's account occur, or is this just something that kind of gives us something to look at? Um, I want you to imagine for, for a moment that you are at uh, the job of your life, and you are doing, uh, you are just having a high time. Everything is just as, as wonderful as it could be. And there's some things happening in the background that nobody's really paying attention to. And in this job, you've been exalted to a high position. And then you find yourself enjoying the status that comes from that. So much so that you throw a big party. And you invite everybody. And everybody shows up. And then... The person who has control and authority over your job sends out a message. And the phrase that we've, we've heard, uh, the handwriting is on the wall, uh, is coming directly out of this chapter. The one who holds your job is now saying, I've looked at what you've done. I've looked at your performance ratings and... Your time at this position is coming to a close. Now, in a job setting, we could just think, well, okay, I'll just get another job. But what if your job is king, ruler, second in command? That's where we find ourselves as we look at Daniel chapter 5. I want to paint a picture for you. Uh, as we, we talked several weeks back about the statue um, and we talked about the, the head of gold and then the next group in, the, the breastplate of silver. We're about to meet that group. We're about to see the transition. The neck is the cutting off point. We're about to see this transition actually occur. And as we, as we think about what's happening next, now we're going to talk about the Persian Empire and how they kind of take over what happens next. Now, for my world history buffs, as we look at this, um, Nebuchadnezzar dies... And then a little, bit, uh, a little bit of time passes. Now, 
if we remember from last week, Nebuchadnezzar had this experience of uh, what we would call a seven-year insanity spurt. Uh, I call that adolescence um, from 13 to 20. Um, but anyway, he has this insanity spurt. And I don't think that the entire populace knew about that. I think everybody was kind of kept out of that except for the family. You know, this is the crazy uncle that nobody talks about, but he's the king, so we've got to kind of make this work other ways. So I think they keep up a front, and seven years he's out grazing and everything else that he's doing, and everybody else is kind of going, you can come back anytime. And when he finally comes back, what we see is, I'm going to tur- turn my attention to God because he's the only one who really has any control here. Now, that is 23 years before this occurs. So let's dive in. Let's get a little bit of the text in. And then I want to show you a couple of things that are also happening and see if maybe we can get a fullness of, of this guy, King Belshazzar. Chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken up out of the temple of, of Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels uh, that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the kings and the lords, and his wives and his concubines, and they drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. When is a good time to throw a party? I asked this last service, and Jake said, anytime's a good time to throw a party. Um, At this case, you kind of think that's where Belshazzar is headed. Now, according to some studies, uh, he's he's 35. I can identify with this age. He's only two years my younger. And, uh, you know, life is good. 37's been good so far. Um, And we see this guy who has this arrogance. Now, we don't see it here entirely. We see some of it, but let me tell you what else is going on. Outside the walls of Babylon, walls that are 350 feet high and 70 to 80 feet thick, depending on who you talk to, outside of this, an army is gathered. In fact, an army is split, one on one side, one on the other. And they start digging ditches. Now, not a glorious profession. Anybody ever had that glorious profession? Uh, no. Um, that's, that's the go-to-college mentality that uh, dig ditches for a summer, you will want to go to college. So they're out digging ditches, and everybody in Babylon thinks, oh, they're going to build mounds to try to climb the walls. My walls are impenetrable. I'm amazing. In fact, my name even says I'm amazing. Belshazzar, his name means God will protect the king. So he walks about like a rooster, strutting everything he's got. I've got this mighty palace. I've got everything I need. In fact, hey, I knew they were coming. We've got 20 years worth of provisions inside the city. Nothing's going to happen. What about water? I've taken care of that too. In fact, we built it right on the river Euphrates. It comes right through the middle, starts at one side, comes out the other. We've got everything we need. We are impregnable. And I see in this, before we ever get to what he, what, how he offends God, his status before people. His status in his own eyes is that I am greater than anything that's out there. Now, again, for my world history buffs, we look back, Belshazzar doesn't really show up. There's this guy named 
um, Nodonius, I think is how you say his name, who is, who is king at this time. Again, 20 years have passed, a couple of people have died. He's the big king, and he's, he sets Belshazzar, his son, up as kind of a co-regent, king too. Um, and, and he's in charge of Babylon. Nodonius is in charge of everything else. So Belshazzar has really looked at his city, looked at everything that's going on, and said, man, I am good to go. And he begins to set himself up. He begins to praise himself. He begins to look at himself and say, I really am the fullness of all that is great. I'm reminded often that if you look at the word awesome, two things in there that always point to me, it ends in me and has Wes in the middle. Uh, awesome is just there. You know, some of you are like, wait a minute. And yes, it is true. But this guy thought that of himself all the time. And his sin nature, as we begin to see, begins to express itself. I know what's wrong. I know what's right. And I'm going to choose to go against both of those. Again, this was his, what we see later is his grandfather. We'll talk about that in a minute. On top of that, he says, you know, we've got a battle to fight. They're out there. I think I'm going to have a party. Sounds like a good time to have a party. My, my city is under siege, but I am so great that nobody's going to mess with me. Now think about this in our own lives. We look at our situation and we look at our bank account. We look at our situation and we look at maybe our family name. We look at our situation and we look at all of our successes and, and all, the, all the trophies on the shelf and everything that we have done that we have succeeded in and we go, look at what I've done. Surely, everything's going to go my way. I challenge you to take any of that with you when you die. Your reputation, your money, your name. None of those things will matter. Belshazzar sets himself up and says, look, look how great I am. And we do the same thing. We trust in our own strength. We trust in our own ability. We trust in our own power. And we find, if we're thinking about it clearly, that it'll ultimately end in failure, as it does with Belshazzar. Now, he's an extreme case. He takes it a step further and says, I've got this group out here and this group out here, and I'm just going to kind of blow them off. I'm going to gather a thousand of my closest friends, so Facebook, and I'm going to, to have a party. And we're just going to live it up. I'm going to stand in front of everybody, and they're going to see how bold and how brash I am, and everybody's going to watch me party because I'm just that good. And just in case that's not enough, I think that there are other gods who are better. Gods of gold and silver and bronze and wood and stone. And, and I'm going to set them up because I really want to win this battle. And I'm going to make sure that the best way to do that is to offend the God of these lowly Judah and Israelite people. So he takes some of the most, not the most, but some of the most sacred items out and uses them for a common purpose begins to drink from them. And I don't think this is a wine tasting like, oh, that's a nice Chardonnay. No, I think this is a tasting in that he's tasted a lot and then had some more. And then he's not tasting anymore. Uh, it's tasting him and he's kind of, he's sloshed. Can you say that? Yeah. Um, he's sloshed. I mean, he, he's, he's there. And in that, he, he takes his boldness and his arrogance a step further 
It says, in all of my greatness, I will shake my fist at God because he doesn't exist. And I'm going to live life my way. I'm going to do things the way that I think they should be done. Now, please don't miss the application here. Now, whether we we have a big party and show off how great we are, or we live our lives day to day with maybe our fist extended, maybe metaphorically our fist extended, if we don't acknowledge God in our day-to-day lives, there will come a point where we will come to ruin. If we get to the point where we acknowledge ourselves as the center of our universe, our universe will crumble. There will come a point. Because we serve a God who is so much bigger than this, he's pretty hot stuff. And even he will see something that's different. Verse 5. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Can you see this? Can you, how do you picture it? I always, uh, every time I've read the story, I've always pictured this really big hand. But I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Maybe I'm just, I'm a visual person and I'm weird like that. But there are a thousand people here. He's up front and center. He's got the spotlights on him. Everybody's watching him party to know how to party. And he stands up and he looks at the back wall, wherever the lampstand is, and he sees this severed human hand writing. But he doesn't know what. He looks at doesn't understand the words, and he's a little freaked out. Ponder that for just a second. You're in a group of a thousand of your closest friends, and you see this severed hand writing on the wall. The Hebrew, the way the words kind of describe this is that his thighs give way. That it, they just kind of... Uh, and that he just he's standing there, and he just kind of falls out. He's visibly shaken, not stirred. He's a little, he's a little freaked out, and he's, he's going... And everybody turns around and starts looking. And they look back at him. They think, he's freaking out. Maybe we should too. So he's like, hey, bring in the wise guys. And they all come running in. Like, what is that? And he's, I mean, literally just freaking out. Now, very kingly at this point. You know, no, no, no. He's, he's falling apart. But he doesn't understand. He doesn't, he doesn't even know the words. And they're looking at it going, um... Gee, I don't know, Bob, what do you think? It, I, I don't know, what do you think it says? That purple robe sounds good, but I'm not getting this. So he, he walks through all of this. He's like, I really have to know. But nobody has an answer, which makes it that much worse. I have a thousand of my closest friends here, and I bring in the wise guys, and none of you know what that says? And maybe he starts thinking about crazy grandpa. We'll talk about him in just a second. Somebody has to be the voice of reason. Now, application at this point if we look at it and we, we see what's going on, there are a lot of times where God speak to it, speaks to us in ways that we don't understand. And we need somebody with a little bit of uh, tread on the tires, a little bit of distance down the road to help us understand. And that's where Daniel's going to come back in. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we haven't talked about him yet. Where has he been? 
What's going on? Let's see what happens. Verse 10, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Not likely. Let your thoughts alarm you, or your, oh, let not your thoughts alarm you, or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Now, this queen, don't be tempted to think this is Esther, okay? We're not that far in the history yet. But this queen has some connection to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if we look back, he said the, the first part of the chapter says his wives were there, his concubines were there, uh, all of his lords. So whoever this is, is not his wife or his concubine or anything else. She's probably the queen mom, likely his grandmother, probably Nebuchadnezzar's wife from 20 plus years previous. Now, if Belshazzar is 35-ish at this point, when... Good King Nebi goes into the seven years of insanity, a.k.a. adolescence. Um, he's five. Seven years pass, he's 12. I don't know about you, I don't remember a whole lot from five to 12, like I do like yesterday. So he's, he's not working through this. And Daniel hasn't been really on the scene for the last 20 years. 65 years have passed more or less since Daniel was brought here. And now he's in his 80s. Maybe he's retired from public service. Maybe, likely, the kings who have followed Nebuchadnezzar have zero desire to follow this God that, that Nebuchadnezzar may or may not have completely committed to. And Belshazzar is way far away from that. So he doesn't even know who this Daniel is. But Daniel's going to be the one from whom the voice of God is going to come. But the queen mom also gives a couple of thoughts here. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, your father, which most are translating that to successor, grandfather, because of the time frame and some other things. Not his dad, but somebody who's in his family tree, like, I am uh, of my grandfather so-and-so. Same kind of idea. So we walk through this, and Queen Mom says, bring him in. Now, he already has some disdain for these exiles. He already has this towards people of Judah. And now you're telling me, bring in this guy? Well, where was he when all these other people were called in? If he's so wise. So we kind of see a little bit of a, a, a take on this in just a moment. Okay, 13. Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. I don't really believe it, but I've heard it. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they couldn't show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Interesting. The spirit of the gods. Some texts read the Spirit of God. But the idea is, you have all this wisdom. Please share. But there's almost an element of sarcasm. There's almost an element of, 
disbelief. I don't think you really can, but I've heard that you can. If you can, the promise holds true. What is this third in charge thing? Um, again, he's the king over Babylon, the city. Uh, Nabonius, his dad, his father over all of it. The next possible offering is the third in command. So I'm going to give you the highest I can give you. Just tell me what that says. Now, here's where it gets really fun. There are only three words on the wall. We'll see that in just a minute. But he doesn't start there. Daniel takes a moment to give Belshazzar a history lesson that he should already know. In fact, verse 22 says he does know it. Um, But as a reminder, now, I want you to think about this. 80-year-old Daniel, who has no real claim in anything, is talking to the king. Please set that in your mind. Okay, he's already been set up by the grandmother. Hey, this guy knows his stuff. He will tell you stuff that you need to hear. So he comes in, and now he's going to rebuke him, which I've always thought is kind of funny. Okay, verse 17. Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship, and greatness, and glory, and majesty better than you. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, just like you, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed with grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Thanks for the history lesson. But there were barbs in it the whole time. Should not be this way, should not be this way, should not be this way. Now, 22, And you, his son, grandson, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Now there's a fun thought. The God in whose hand your life is, is kept. That hand is writing on the wall. I love the, the picture here. But he gives this, this you should know better. You know that this was what your grandfather did, and yet this is exactly how you were living again. Those in the room who are believers don't miss this. To know the right thing to do and not do it, Scripture calls that sin. To know the wrong thing to do and to do it anyway, Scripture calls this sin. Now we see the fullness of this sin lived out in his life in this arrogance and this boldness. And maybe we're not kings. And maybe we're not living it like this. But our sin does exactly the same thing in the face of God. Our sin sets ourselves up to be the answer to the question. Our sin sets ourselves up to be the standard for that which is right. In our world, it's whatever feels good for you. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. This is an extreme example of the sin nature lived out. But make no mistake, this is exactly how our sin nature is in the sight and eyes of God. That when we live out our lives thinking that we know the answer and God is just there to give him a tip of the hat 
or we live our lives in such a way that we don't even really acknowledge God at all, or maybe we go so far as Belshazzar and we openly defy him. Please don't be uh, fooled into thinking that there will be no consequence. There is a consequence for sin. There is a great consequence for sin. Sin left unchecked will have destructive forces all over us. Sin left unconfessed, uh, a person without Christ has an ultimate finish that is not good. And we need to make sure that we know that. And I'm not here to, to, to beat you over the head with it, but to simply get us to think. Belshazzar has a choice to continue in his rebellion or to repent. But it's not at this point. It's much sooner. And we have the same choice before us, to continue in our rebellion or to repent, to turn away from, to, to forsake. And the idea here is that you've gone so far that there's no coming back. Now, we could take that a lot further than we need to. Please don't hear me say that there's only so far you can go before God washes his hands at me. I don't think that's... I, in fact, I'm sure that's not a scriptural idea. So there's hope today. Don't, don't hear me beat the hope out of this message because it's there. You can't go too far to be reclaimed. His life is such that his lifestyle was open rebellion against God and there was no thought of change. He's gone so far as to intentionally offend the God of heaven. Verse 24. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekiel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Now, why is it repeated? Because it's coming really, really soon. That's the only part that's repeated. Anytime you see repetition in Scripture, it's repeated for a purpose. It's to draw emphasis or it's to create urgency or something like that. When we see like holy, holy, holy repeated, holy, holy, or holiest, it's, it's emphasis. It's, it's adding more to it. Same thing happening here. And then uh, verse 27, Tequil, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. This sounds like the word that we use for shekel. The same idea, same, same principle. Weighed on the scales kind of a financial transaction and here's righteousness here's goodness here's what's pleasing to God and here's where you're measuring up and you have found you've been found lacking righteousness is greater than you goodness is greater than you God's holiness is greater than you and you've been found lacking and because of that verse 28 Paris your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians that's quite a message the king who thinks of himself as all that hears this God has numbered your days he has weighed you on the scale you've been found lacking and consequences are coming in our own lives in a life unchecked by confession of sin by response to the Holy Spirit our days are numbered anyway God knows the number of our days how are you going to measure up how are you going to, when measured against God's righteousness, how are you going to fare? Now, if we'll be honest with ourselves, never will we measure up, except for one 
very important thing. Grace. Here's where hope comes in. Grace at this point, though we don't deserve any of it, comes in, invades our lives, and we are declared righteous. For those who know Christ, one of the things that happens is a thing called justification, and you have been declared righteous by the judge. That's a good thing. It's not a matter of how much we can do to measure up. I will never be able to make the scale level. I will never be able to do enough good things, say enough good things, raise my children, love my wife, love this church. I will never be able to do enough good things. I will never be able to put in enough money to make the scale balanced. It will never happen. Each of our days are numbered. Each of us have been looked at with our lives being measured and in and of ourselves, we will never measure up. But thanks be to God that through the grace given to us in Jesus Christ, we have now been declared righteous, seen through the imputed righteousness of Christ. This is big stuff. Belshazzar doesn't get that. He gets the consequence. And the consequence of his sin is that his kingdom is going to be taken away. Hear me today. If you are without Christ today, your kingdom that you've built for yourself will not stand. It just won't. 29. Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Ha, everything's good. I got the message, got the voicemail, everything. Just don't read further, okay? Don't do it. Stop. Stop reading verse 31. Stop. Oh, spoiler alert. He dies that night. Here's what happens. Remember back to the, the trenches I was talking about? Well, yeah, they were digging trenches, but what they were doing was they were redirecting the Euphrates. And there were gates that that came down over where the river was. And as the water was redirected, the water came down and the soldiers were able to come in. So while Belshazzar is thinking, I'm good, I'm perfect, everything is good, everything is going perfectly, I am the king, what's happening is the Persians are literally waiting for just the right moment. The water comes down, they storm the gates, and he dies that night. And his celebration of himself In his celebration of his sinfulness, the invading army comes in and destroys him. And by the end of the night, he's off the throne. Mm -hmm. The consequences of our sin may not be that we die tomorrow or even tonight. But make no mistake, if we die in our sin, the consequences are great. Very last thing. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now... A little bit more about Darius coming in the future. God's plan is still at work. This is the silver part of the the statue. Please, please hear that in the midst of what we face today, God's plan is still at work. Now, there are some who like to say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. God has a wonderful plan for all of creation that includes your life. That wording is very, very different than God has a wonderful plan for your life. God's ultimate plan is being lived out in Daniel chapter 5. 
God has a wonderful plan for all of creation that includes the direction and purpose of your life as well. And today I want to challenge you. Heed the words of the scripture and respond to the Holy Spirit in your heart even now. And don't let sin reign. Don't let sin reign. Let's pray together.